the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14 to verse 18. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, or some translations will say we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Father, we pray you'll open the eyes of our heart to the truth of your word, that it would renew our mind so that, as Paul says in Romans 12, that with our minds renewed, our lives would be transformed, changed a little bit more this morning into the likeness of Christ, so that we will reflect him to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I sort of want to focus on verse 14 and 18. And uh, then, as Jason said, we're back in a couple of weeks. And The theme of what I want to share with you is what it is to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so in a fortnight's time, we'll talk about what it means to be full of grace and then following what it means to be full of truth. We are living in very interesting times, aren't we? It's an incredibly interesting, evolving world we are living in. And if there's one thing that I am noticing from my journey with people and watching the news and watching everything that's happening is not only are people acknowledging there is tremendous need in the world, but there is a growing cry for the truth. People are wanting reality. They're tired of being lied to through certain narratives that we're having communicated to us, and people are just wanting the truth. But not only are people wanting the truth, and we'll define what truth is in a moment, in that people are wanting to experience grace. People are wanting to experience grace and kindness. And we as Christians, more than anyone else as followers of Jesus Christ, are people who should understand what grace is, what truth is, and we are the carriers of grace and truth, the dispensers of it, just as Christ was. When I first became a follower of Christ in March 1978, which is a very long time ago, I had never entered a church or read a Bible until that evening after I gave my life to Christ. Pip was my girlfriend then, still is, and uh, she gave me her children's living Bible, which was in three separate pieces, well used, which was a good sign, put it in the correct order, and the pastor who had led me to Christ, and along with Pip, said, you need to start reading the Bible, and like they did for all new Christians, he said, start in John's Gospel. 
So I went home that night, jumped under the covers with my torch, because my father being Muslim, I knew what he'd do if he caught me with a Bible. And uh, I began to read John's gospel. And I finished John, thought, wow, went to Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read Acts, and read Romans, all into the early hours of the morning. And these verses were among some of the first verses that captivated me as a Christian, because there is a cry within the human heart that the Bible itself reveals that people, if God exists, people want to see God. People want to see God. They want to see the reality of God, if he exists, and what he's like. And right from the beginning of the Old Testament, you see this constant theme and cry with time. We won't have time to look at these passages, but you get Moses in Exodus 33, where Moses has been relating to God, and he has such a desire to want to see God. He says, God, show me your glory, which is equivalent to saying, God, show me your face. I want to see you. And that there would be something that would satisfy the heart of Moses, being able to see God. But as Jesus, as the Gospel of John says here, no one has seen God. God speaks back to Moses and says, no one can see my face and live. Which makes you wonder about all the trips to heaven some people have had. Anyway, that's an aside. I'm being a bit naughty there. Um, But all through Scripture, the Bible makes it clear that God is invisible. No one can see God. He lives in light, unapproachable. He is so utterly unlike us in his holiness and purity, God says, if you ever were to see my face, basically, you're dead. Sinful man cannot see the absolute holiness of God this side of heaven. Moses cried out to see God's face. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see this constant refrain, show me your face, let your face shine upon us. There is something that is wonderful about face-to-face communication, isn't there? Lockdown was hard, wasn't it? And it still is for many people in the world where they can't see one another face-to-face. Because when you're face-to-face, you see something about a person that you don't in any other way. In John 14, Jesus is preparing the disciples to leave, and he's saying, I've got to go and prepare a place for you. And he's saying that he's leaving, and Philip, one of the disciples, turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you just show us God, and we will be what? Satisfied. In other words, we'll be fulfilled. It'll just make everything complete if we could just see God, just show us God. The cry of the human heart. And Jesus, you could just almost see the look on his face as he looks at him like, dude, (laughs) you've been with me all this time and you haven't yet realized he who has seen what? Me has seen the Father. This is what Jesus says here in verse 18. I'm going to start here and sort of work my way backwards a little bit. No one has ever seen God But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John has already established in his prologue that Jesus is the eternal word. He is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, is God. That little phrase, in the beginning, the word was with God, 
is very similar to verse 18 in that that little word with, that phrase means literally in a sense to be they are face to face. They are looking at one another. They're together in such intimate communion and relationship. They're beholding, they're looking at one another. It's not just they're hanging out together. They are with each other. And this is what John is saying then in verse 18. No one has seen God, but the only, God, the only begotten, who is at the Father's side. If you've got a King James or some older translations, they will say, in the Father's bosom. It was a Hebrew idiom, a way of declaring the closest intimacy someone could have. And as I'm watching you as a young mum with your baby, that is the exact image of what this phrase means. A mother holding her child as close as she possibly can. It's the closest intimacy. And that's what the Hebrew idiom means and conveys. And this is what that phrase is saying. Jesus is the only one who can possibly reveal the Father because he's the only one from all eternity who has been in the closest possible intimate relationship with the Father. And it says he is the only one who can make him what? Known. The word known in the New Testament language, is a word from which we get our English word exegete. So if you're a university student, you may have come across that term, to exegete something, which means to take something, to study it, to understand it, for the purpose of being able to then unfold and explain it to others. And this is what someone who teaches God's word does when they study scripture. They're exegeting it. They're understanding it, the background, the words to bring it to you. It's a word that conveys the idea that the person who can make this known is the person who has known and studied this so deeply they're able to unfold and explain it to you in such simplicity that you will understand it. They can interpret. Some translations will read this way, who is at the Father's side has interpreted him, has explained him, has revealed him. It's also a word that was used in Greek culture at times to describe someone acting something out in a theatrical way on a stage. So when you sort of put all that together, what we're being told as we look at the life of Christ He's the only one being the eternal word, son of God, in the closest relationship with the Father who can enter, who entered our human history, came onto the stage of humanity, as it were, and said, you've been crying out to see what God is really like. I am the only one qualified from the Father's side, to reveal to you, to explain to you, to unfold to you, to demonstrate to you on the stage of human history what God is like. So when you look at the life and the ministry and the teaching of Christ, you are seeing and hearing the Father, what God is like, what God is like. And then we back up to verse 14, and in order to do that, we have this incredible statement that is the most concise statement about the incarnation, the word incarnation, if you worry, I 
Look, when I became a Christian, I'd never read a Bible. I'd never been to church. Didn't have much education. I just kept asking questions. It's the best way to learn. And I'd hear the pastor use a word like that. And I'd say, what the heck is incarnation? You know, it sounds like a flower, sounds like something. And he said, oh, it's Latin. It literally means in flesh. Well, why didn't you say that? <laughs> Let's keep it simple. That this statement is the most simple, concise statement of the incarnation of what it was for Jesus to leave the Father's side as the eternal Son of God, enter our world and take upon us our nature, take upon himself. And the Word became flesh. That is the most, one of the most profound statements. We don't have time to unpack a study of the incarnation in this message as much as I would love to. Um, that's what preachers say when they don't have anything more to say. <laughs> I'm kidding. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you read your New Testament, you will find time and time again the testimony that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who, like the Father, no beginning, no end, entered our world at a point in time in history and took upon himself our flesh, our nature, our humanity, never at any moment ceasing to be God. Though his attributes as God were veiled and limited at times by choice and trying to understand the mystery of all of that, would end, you'll end up under the bed saying the Greek alphabet backwards, trying to figure that all out. These are mysteries sometimes that, as Augustine said, we believe that we may understand. And as we embrace them, then God gives us understanding. Jesus took our humanity, our flesh, our nature upon himself without ever ceasing to be God. And yet, like us, he suffered, he bled, he wept, he grieved, he hungered, he thirsted, he grew weary. He experienced all the things we experience, but without sin. Jesus, the eternal word, who was at the Father's side for all eternity, the only one who could make him known, in order to make him known, took upon our humanity and flesh. That becomes not only a testimony in history, but it becomes an example for us who want to reach our world. We need to become Jesus Christ with flesh on. Because he's not here anymore. Acts tells us the heavens contain him until it's the right time for his return and second coming. In the meantime, guess what, folks? We're it. And there is no plan B in God's economy in his kingdom. As Christ, the eternal son of God, took on our humanity to reveal what the invisible Father is like, we too now have been given that same responsibility to so become like Christ as much as it is possible in our humanity in this time that people, when they look at us, will see Christ. 
It's the whole theme of the New Testament that God's ultimate goal for you and I is to transform and change us into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's one ultimate goal for you. And you'll find that theme repeated again and again and again. So the more we connect our lives in terms of intimacy with Christ, the more we will begin to reflect the nature of Christ. Who you associate with, you begin to reflect. People say a person looks like their dog. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's a sad phrase. I should have a white front paw. That's the case. The closer we are to Christ, the more we reflect his nature and likeness. There are two verses that have challenged my Christian walk. One is in Mark's gospel where Jesus calls the 12 disciples and he says to them, he calls them to be with him, to be with him. He invited them into a relationship. Jesus is crucified. He rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. He imparts his mission to his disciples. They continued in the book of Acts. And then you get into the fourth chapter of Acts, and the disciples are causing trouble by healing people. And then in verse 13, they're brought before the religious elite and leaders of the day, and they're giving them a hard time to the disciples. And then there's this verse 13, which I found an astounding verse, a comforting verse for someone like me who didn't have a lot of education. It says, and then they realized these unschooled, unlearned men had been with Jesus. As they debated and deliberated with them, suddenly it dawned, it struck those persecuting them and the watching world, that the fundamental difference about these unskilled, unlearned men, fishermen, as it were, from Galilee, was what marked them out was that they recognized in them the person, the nature, the ministry, and the words of Christ continuing. I would love that as an epitaphal statement about my life, if people looked at it and said, well, the thing about him is he's obviously been with Jesus because that's reflected in his life and witness, etc. What the watching world that is slowly imploding around us needs is they need to see, for them to see Christ... They need to see Christ in us. We need to find ways practically to become incarnate ourselves without any disrespect to Jesus' incarnation, but believers with flesh on practically every day of our life with the people that we encounter and meet. Yes, we must proclaim the gospel, but we must also be living examples of, of the gospel. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians in third chapter, he said to them, you are our letter. What he was saying is, you're like our letter to the world declaring the gospel. And he said, but not written with ink, 
but with the Spirit of God upon you. And he was saying, you are a living letter read by all. He was conveying to them, as the New Testament does, that ultimately, as well as our words, it is ultimately the influence and the imprint of our lives incarnate for Christ in the watching world that will have the biggest impact. I love the words of uh, essayists that I like reading, a man by the name of Emerson, who said, um, who you are, shout so loud, I cannot hear what you say. Who you are, shout so loud, I cannot hear what you say. And it's as people watch the living witness of our Christ-like lives that they will want to know why we are the way we are. And that is not perfection. Perfection in this life will never be achieved. It is a direction we aim for. But it will never happen till the other side of heaven in eternity. What the watching world looks for is authenticity in our lives that is marked out by the phrase we'll close with and pick up in a fortnight's time that Jesus became flesh, what? Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You do not have to have it perfectly together to be an effective incarnate witness for Christ. In actual fact, Christians trying to be perfect is a real turnoff to the watching world. It doesn't attract. But when people see us as believers wrestling with the issues of life that they wrestle with, but we are full of grace and truth and a hope that they do not have, that is attractive. When I was um, growing up as a young Christian in our church, we had a speaker who came regularly to our church, a man who's passed away, wrote several books by the name of Tom Marshall. Tremendous little guy. He must have been four foot nothing in height. And he would just stand there and lean on the pulpit like this and talk to you. And I never forgot one of the testimonies he shared when he talked about effectiveness in witnessing for Christ, he said a lady, he was an elder in his church in Capity Coast. He said a lady turned up to her, their church, one Sunday morning and said, I've come to church this morning because I want to find out about who Jesus Christ is and what it means to believe in God. He said, oh, what drew you here? She said, watching my neighbors changed life. He comes to this church. Who's your neighbor? She told him. He said his first reaction was his heart sank because the neighbor she mentioned was an alcoholic who had come to their church and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And he was on a daily journey of wrestling to find freedom from his addiction and follow Christ. Tom said to her, Oh, <laughs> what is it about it? She said, he's not perfect, but I watch him wrestling every day. And I watch the changes every day. 
and I see something he has that I don't have. And so I asked him what it was and he told me, so she said, that's why I'm here. I remember Tom Marshall saying, it made him realize you don't have to be perfect to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? That struggling, recovering alcoholic helped his neighbor find Christ. Because his life had now become full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we saw the glory, the presence, the face of God in Christ, full of grace and truth. My prayer for you as individual followers of Christ, as a church community, is that you would become flesh in terms of the living expression of Jesus Christ to your neighbors, to your work colleagues, to your friends, to your family, to this very community God is planting you in. And that people would see and experience the presence of God through you. And in that, they would experience grace and truth. Let me very quickly in closing define grace and truth. Grace is a word that's used in two ways. One we're very familiar with. Grace is us receiving something we do not deserve and can never earn. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 2. You have been what? Saved by grace, not through works. Grace is the gift of God's salvation to you and I. And the only thing we need to do to receive it is the recognition that we need it, that we're spiritually bankrupt, and we need God's forgiveness. We need God's grace. Grace was also used in biblical times as a word to describe someone who was characterized by a winsomeness, a charm, a beauty. We will use that term in a different way when we say somebody is a gracious person. So when grace transforms the heart of a believer, it should show up in a charm, a graciousness that is attractive to those around us. The word truth that John uses all through his gospel is not just about telling the truth. The word literally means that which is real. It's a word to define reality. And I don't know about you, but the world we're living in is wanting reality. The greatest truth and reality we can ever experience is through the person of Jesus Christ and through the truth of God's word that tells it like it is and defines reality. So in the next two messages, I want to talk very practically with you about what it means to be a person full of grace like Christ and what it means to be a person full of truth like Christ. Would you stand with me? Let's bow our hearts and pray. Father, 
there are aspects of the mysteries of the way that you work that our finite minds can never comprehend. But we thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts to reveal Christ to us. And we thank you that as we have reached out for your amazing grace and known the forgiveness of our sin, that you have taken up residence within our very being. We thank you for your presence in our lives, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, who is changing us day by day ever more into the likeness of Christ. Father, you've left us with a responsibility that as Jesus has made the Father known on the stage of human history, it's now our responsibility to make Jesus known in all the areas of influence that you have given us. Father, help us to be free from striving for perfection and simply to humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that we need your amazing grace every day. And as you fill us and treat us with such amazing grace, we pray that that grace and graciousness would flow out to others around us so that they would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to walk in truth so that our lives are defined by a reality that the world so desperately needs. Father, I ask your blessing upon this precious church family in this community and pray that not only individually but corporately you would reveal to them ways to be Jesus with flesh on to the community around them. Pour out your grace and your goodness upon them, we pray in Jesus' name.